with me this morning and turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Luke 15. Beginning with verse 11. Are we on the screens? The Bible up there? Not yet. Luke 15, 11. Here we go. And Jesus said, and this, again, this is not a parable. When Jesus uses specifics and names and pronouns, this means this happens. So this is a true story that Jesus is bringing from his knowledge as God about all people to teach this passage of Scripture. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he'd spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and this man sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain or desired to fill his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, but no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father and say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, here's the repentance, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again and, is lost and was lost and is now found. And they began to be merry. Before you're seated this morning, I want to speak to the unsaid. We've all seen it, but we don't like to talk about it. People are walking away from God in mass. They are becoming, they're unknowns who when the media finds out about them, they can be the smallest of celebrities, but when they denounce God or walk away from God, now they're celebrities. It's glamorized to walk away from the God of our fathers, the God of my youth. I'm the type of person that I want to know why the car's making that noise. I won't, I, I'll walk through the house and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look at something and say, this don't make sense. And now my kids are walking around and they go, this don't make sense. This don't make sense. <laughs> oh, I'm, when you reap, I just, Lord, help them be like Kelly. Uh, wh why would someone walk away from God? Why, why do we walk away from God? Often in our heart before we ever do it with our feet. How does this happen? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about those who leave God. Elisha, do you want to pray for me this morning? You don't have to. You want to come? Come on. Y'all, this is my preacher man, my buddy. Will y'all give him a hand this morning? Hold it close. And listen, there's nothing to perform. Just pray like we pray at home. Just pray for Daddy to be able to remember what he's supposed to say. That's a big help. And to preach good. Thank you for, for this wonderful day and that my dad can preach good and that you guys can have a good day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. You may be seated. First three times we've done that, he prayed for animals and dead relatives, and I'm like, I'm standing right here. <laughs> Help Daddy to preach good so we can have a good day. That about sums it up. This is a, a difficult subject because I know people who've walked away from God will say, fell off the reservation. I know people that are walking away from God. I know people that were the last person you would ever think, and that's, I'm not being cliche, the last person you would ever think, 
and just walk away. And I've also seen them come back home. Listen to your pastor this morning. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to get this message out fully so when I get done, I know that I'm free of the blood of, of, of all men. I have watched them come home, walking back past the people they walked away from God in front of, making that. See, the world calls it a walk of shame when you, when you are caught doing something. But there is a, 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 a reverse of that when the backslid Christian walks back past the people they've partied with, past the people they've slept with, past the people that they have denounced God and the things of God. And they say, where are you going? They say, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. I've watched it happen. Now, it does not matter to me what your pedigree is, your, your background, whether it's Methodist, Baptist, Episcopal, Pentecostal, doesn't matter to me. I've watched them die on the road too. You can say what you want to say, but I watched them die in their sins and die in their unbelief. The Bible says, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. For we are made partakers of Christ if, if we hold the confidence of our faith steadfast in the end. I can't do anything to save myself, but I must continue in that grace. I must continue in faith. The only thing that keeps God's wrath from me is the atoning work of Christ that I have a full, reliant, exclusive trust in. And if I abandon that, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sins. You can play all of the biblical jargon games you want, if there is no covering, there is judgment. You can't walk away from God and be with God. And we walk away with our actions. We walk away with our words. We walk away with our choices. Number one this morning, those who leave God make a personal decision to do so. And I said a moment ago, it happens in the heart long before it happens in the, in the body or an expression. Someone said, how could they do that? Oh, the heart had been leaving a long time before. By the time the prodigal asked the father for all that fell to him, he'd already been planning this. Through compromise, through venturing off in thought, what would it be like if? Every affair starts with, what would it be like if that person, that thing? What would it be like if I were to change directions, change scenarios, change family? That's why the Bible tells you, you do it. Guard your heart. Put a garrison, an army in front of your heart. Guard it because man cannot do it for you and God will not do it for you. Grace is his gift to you, but what you do with that grace is your response. It's your responsibility. No one can make you leave God. Listen to this pastor this morning. No one. I know the preacher was crooked, but he didn't make you leave God. I know he might have been immoral, but he didn't make you leave God. I know your parents acted one way on Sunday, but then lived like hell the rest of the week. But we need to man up and woman up and own up to the fact that no one can make me turn my back on Jesus Christ. If they all go crazy, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. Why hide out under that false canopy of rationalization that says, well, I've got every reason. I have no grounds for divorce from God. None. And my union with him has no bearing on what you do. Any more than if... You go crazy. I say, well, Kelly, I can't stay with you. You know, these church folk are crazy. I got, she goes, what? Do you see how absurd it sounds when we see our excuses? You leave God because you choose to. And we don't, we don't teleport. We don't start here and wind up in the far country. We make small steps. The false church calls it progressive Christianity. 
We call it enlightenment and, and maturation. When you do today what you wouldn't consider yesterday, you're departing. It ain't changed. You changed. Because iniquity abounds, your love's growing cold. Your conviction, when you don't have the support of other people having the same conviction, and then you start to go with the crowd. We are not people of the crowd. We are people of the cross. People of the Christ. People leave God for a variety of reasons. They're, they say they're reasons, but they're excuses. I mean, they, they apply, but they don't justify the departure. Tired of being under authority. Same way, you, you, how many of us moved out before we were 18? Okay. My, my, my brothers and my sisters. Us. Can't nobody, what was the motive? I just feel like that I'm not achieving academically all that I need to achieve and I'm not becoming and I must move out from my parents so that I can explore the greatness within. Oh, no, 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 no. You got tired of folk telling you what to do. You got tired of answering where you been, where you going. And see, this generation, I ain't got time for you. I ain't, I ain't got no patience for y'all. I have become the old man. Get off my grass. I have become that guy. <laughs> you got in your hand a computer stronger than the computer that we sent the first people to the moon in. You don't know what it's like when you have to call home by 11 and find a payphone in the dark, in the country, because ain't no cell phone. And get grounded for eight months because you can't find a, a pay phone. And then somebody will leave it and go, y'all had phones on poles? Yes. <laughs> and we did go to school, walk to school, naked, uphill, <laughs> both ways, in the snow, uphill both ways with your brother on your back. Yes. <laughs> if you can't tell, it's not in my notes. I'm trying to lighten up a very... Very heavy subject. But the same way we see that in children, we don't do it, see it in ourselves. You're just tired of authority. You're tired of God having the last say. He doesn't want your opinion. You know what? Parents, authority, I don't need your opinion. I don't need your insight. Little Isabel's already mastering the craft of manipulation. She's going to talk me out. And I'll let her. I'll just give her a rope and give her a rope and give her a rope. And say, Did you say something? After 10 minutes, sir, were you, were you, talk, were you saying something? Easy, I didn't ask you your opinion. This is what we're going to do. And I'll just walk off. And this realization, my opinion doesn't matter. No. No. I love you. I will die for you. But you think your opinion is going to factor in this? Oh, no, 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 no. So we've created a God in our own image that we can approach carnally with other backslid Christians and tell him how it's going to be. I'll serve you, I'll worship you if we'll lower these restrictions and broaden the way and make the cross on my back a little more comfortable and make my sufferings a little more sporadic. And I'll tell you, I'll follow you if people leave God because he has final and absolute authority. He doesn't ask us our opinions. He cares about us. But he's the authority. They're tired of the responsibilities that come with living in the Father's house. The responsibilities of lordship. People leave God because they're enticed and pulled away by some other person or influence. You know, Adam left God for his wife. Eve was deceived. I want you to get this. That's why God, God didn't... Uh, Speak to Eve at the fall. He spoke to Adam. He said, Adam, you weren't even deceived. Your, your love, affection, desire for this person, you sold me out for them. And I'm going to tell you this morning as your pastor, you will have family members, spouses, friends, co-workers that Satan will use at just the right time to pull you. He's not trying to pull you out of the Father's house. Please get this. He's trying to pull you six inches. Now this is the new normal. And then later when you're down another six inches. And before long you find yourself at the door. Simon Peter, when Jesus said, stay with me. Some of this is not in my notes. So when I say stay with me, it's for me to keep my train of thought. 
He said, uh, Jesus was telling them about how he was going to go and die and suffer many things. He was telling them about redemption. And Simon goes, no, Lord, be it far from you. Not, not that. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. When's the last time you called your best friend Satan? And they were like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of like the devil. I, you know. <laughs> not you're wrong. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is to Simon Peter the rock that Jesus was going to build his church upon. He said, you don't savor the things of God. You are using your mouth to pull me away from the will of God. And that's satanic. Well, you tell your friends that, we'll not wind up with a whole lot of friends. Which that peer pressure, people sell their consecration out for the approval of the masses that don't know God and don't care about your well-being. Anyone that will use their influence to draw or pull you away from God's revealed will. It's satanic. It's the spirit of this age. I'm not saying they're Satan. The spirit that operates in this age is using them. These people, because of alienation, rejection, mockery, and persecution from those in the world, get tired. They know if I just turn my light down far enough, if I stop saying all that I'm saying, if I blend in, I can kind of have the best of both worlds. No, you don't. You don't have any of either world. You got just enough of God that the world, you're miserable with the world, and just enough of the world that you're miserable with God. I'm not going to turn my light down so you'll like me. Now, I don't mean you got to come into work with a King James Bible on a dolly, you know, and drop it on your desk. And, you know, you don't have to put up life-size portraits of Jesus, which, by the way, there are no pictures of him. So I don't know who that is. And, uh, you know, <laughs> scare you to death. You just walk up in some life-size portrait. Oh, my goodness. You know, we all get tired of being the minority. And many people have walked away from God just so they could fit in. That was it. A bowl of soup. So you'd fit in with your coworkers. Have you ever thought of, just, just look around at your coworkers. At, so I'm going to trade God in for their approval. They, this is crazy as a freshwater trout. And I'm going to sell out my walk with God for them. Peer pressure, though culminates. It grows. It increases. They leave because they begin to sample compromise until their heart is deceived and then, de then darkened. Deceived and then darkened. Deception is progressive. A little bit of darkness, a little bit of darkness, a little bit of darkness, and then you don't know. And my favorite quote, I've said it for years, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. Deception happens when you don't know you think you're close to God and you're far apart from God. That's the motto of the Laodicean church. They said, we are rich, we are increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, those three are incorrect. You're blind, miserable, naked, wretched, and poor. A little bit of gap between those statements. So how can they think everything was all right? Listen to your pastor. Because they surrounded themselves with people just like themselves that thought everything was right. We don't surround ourselves uh, with the Felicias of this world that Scripture just comes out. We don't surround ourselves with those with conviction and something come on the television or radio and they go, that sounds like the devil. Y'all don't like people. I love people like that. You know why? Because I can rein in some of this wildfire, but it's no fire that's killing us. No conviction. No, no dynamic serving and, and a, a flaming heart. You surround yourself with dumb people, you become dumb. You surround yourself with carnal people, you become carnal. And when you live with deceived people, you become deceived. That's why God says, hey, you don't have to like this message. I didn't write it. Come out from among them. God said, come on, come on, come on, come on, come out. No, not in mind. Feet, feet. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean things. Don't, don't let it even get on you. And I'll be your God. And I'll draw near to you. And I'll lighten your mind. 
I'll let you see what other people don't see. I'll let you feel what other people don't feel. I'll let you know what other people don't know. And you'll do what other people don't do. You'll be children of the light. Awake thou that sleepest and rise from the dead and Christ will give you life. People leave the Father's house when they are tricked. And by the way, might I mention this to you? The devil loves a long con. Some of y'all say, what was, you know, you hear of a con man. It's not just trickery in the moment. It's a year and a half. Uh, there are people who spend their lives conning other people out of their fortunes. And they'll spend years doing it. They're patient. The devil's not after your today. He's after your influence. But he wants to inhale you, to devour you, to gobble you up. And it's a long con. What he'll do, see, he doesn't just, when you come and step out of the Father's house, he doesn't attack you at the door. He gets you down the road, down the road, down the road, and he's playing this little violin. Come on, come on. And he gets you into a far country and beats your brains out with it and takes your babies. Are you just trying to scare me? No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. I have been at the funeral, doing the funeral, where the parents hanging on that child's casket. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. God doesn't do that. The enemy does. When there's no covering. Jake, the best thing I can do for my family has nothing to do with an address. It has nothing to do with account or life insurance. Have all those things. It's when I am in my room by myself and I said, I place, Lord, I ask you, I ask you to place a covering over my family. Remember my relationship with you to their kids, 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 kids. Protect them, oh God. I am a limited resource. You, I wish you could see the fathers in this place going, yep, I do that. Their heads are going up and down like bobble toys in here. Yes, yes. Lord, take care of them, protect them, preserve them. I am a limited resource. You are unlimited. I am carnal. You are holy. But the devil doesn't tell you what he's going to do with your daughter later. And you've watched lewd shows with her for years and years, creating an, app, an awareness and then an appetite for those things. And singing two songs on Sunday is not as great as all that carnality during the week. And then he gets them in their 20s and shoo, they're gone. Be sober. Wake up. Be vigilant because your adversary is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. People leave God because the conviction is too great living in the light of his presence. I may not even get to the other parts. We may just do the first one. For those of us that truly have lived with God, there's a brightness there that lights up every dark thing in your life. Call them. Stop that. Write that letter. Give that. Stop. 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 It's like the light is so bright. But if you, turn, if you walk away a little bit, the less the light is. When, guys, when you get married, those young, how many young guys in your early 20s you haven't got married yet? All right, two of you. Praise the Lord. Be careful. Be careful. Pray. Uh, one of the things, I'm just going to tell you that, so when it gets there, you can go, Pastor John told me about this. You'll learn about things like none of your possessions matter. None. You get married, you have a papazon chair and a picture of your dog in the river. It's about 24 by 24. And they go, oh, we don't need that. Throw that picture out. Papazon chair and you got a picture of someone. You don't even know who they are. It's hanging up in your place. And then you get a makeup mirror. And it, guys don't know what a makeup mirror is. This bad boy has two sides, two, two speeds, two strengths. You go in there and you're brushing your teeth one day in the full mirror, and then you go over to the makeup mirror, and it happens to be flipped around with the light on you. For the love of everything pure and holy, what in the world? You've got craters, you've got living organisms, you know, because guys don't take care of themselves like girls do. Girls have all these products and chemicals and stuff, and we like, wash your hair. <laughs> Dry your hair. You know, we don't know. That was wet, by the way. <laughs> but you turn that mirror on and you go, oh, my goodness. Baby, 
I need to number that laser surgeon. I need to do something. You've got caverns and channels and things like that. What's, what's the difference? Light. Light. Now, I use something funny because, listen, I, your pastor is a very simple person. This is how I remember things. Christ is an unapproachable light. It's just bright. And when you get close to him, you see everything. You see your motives. You see what... It's uncomfortable. The flesh screams, just get me out of the light. Just get me out of the light. And we learn that if distance in the house makes it easier to live, what would it be like if I left all together? I flip the mirror back around, watch, and go, I'm good. I'm good. And then you surround yourself with other people in the world whose mirrors turned that way and go, we're good. We're good. But then you'll venture back into God's house one day and you I feel like I see things this morning I didn't see the other day. And I, I feel like I, I think I'm remembering how it used to be. And when the light is on, you can address the real need. But the primary reason, as a pastor now, these many years, uh, today starts the 28th year of this church by God's grace. Thank you, Lord. If you were to ask me, like you're sitting on the stage and said, Pastor, we just want to ask you about ministry. What's the number one reason people walk away from God? Well, there's two. Hurt. Hurt with something God didn't do or like that he didn't keep from them or hurt with some unanswered prayer. But the biggest one is so they can practice a sin that they know God will not approve of. And I'm going to marry. A woman says, I'm going to marry that other woman. I don't care what God says. I, I'm, I'm, this man comes in here and says, Pastor, I love you, but you just preach too much on telling us not to love the world, not to love the world, not to love the world. I said, that's because the Bible says love not the world. They love money, and the pastor says you can't serve God in money. You have to have one or the other. So they can practice some sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So they can practice it. They leave the Father's house because there is no convicting voice on the road. But in the Father's house, you have servants. So let's just say in the Father's house, servants are the people on your road. And you show up at church and go, girl, where you been? What do you mean? Where you been? It's been like six Sundays. What's wrong with you? What's this? You smoking again. What's wrong with you? Uh, uh, phone. Are you back with that guy? That guy that's a Satanist? Are you back with him? What's wrong with this? Well, I'm praying that he, you're a fool. Stop, stop. And you know, in, in the father's house, people will call you on your junk. But on the road, crickets. Just silent. No one says anything. People walk away from God. Listen every day and they pay at some level for that choice and some die on the road. May I, may I draw a distinction for you? To the lost, Christ will leave the 99. To the prodigal, he never leaves the house. All our contemporary worship leaders in the, in the secular, that they have catchy songs. Not all of them have good doctrine. No, he doesn't chase me down. He will let me die on the road. But if I turn and if I walk, he runs. But he don't come and get you. He, I, I know they sing that, but he doesn't come and get you. He doesn't tear down walls to get you. He waits for you to repent. The reason it hasn't happened, why hadn't come, God come and get, got me yet? Because he ain't coming. But he'll meet you there. Okay, very quickly. Those who leave God travel a very similar, predictable, and painful road. They begin to think that God owes them something. The prodigal, I'm going to do these quickly. You can look them up later. He says, give me the portion that falls to me. That's what the son said. Nothing falls to you. And nothing like an ignorant 
child, 16, 17, 18, you, what, you owe me. I'm your firstborn. You could be a no-born in about five minutes. I don't owe you nothing. It's, listen, I, I know we've evolved, and I know we don't discipline, and I understand all of that, but this entitlement stuff is gone crazy. No child left behind. I'll be no child with a behind. We'd get a lot better. If it, <laughs> that was good. Wasn't it? That's just, it's not in my notes. It's a gift. It just, whoosh, whoosh, no child. With. God doesn't owe me anything. That first thing, give me what you owe me. When your Christianity and your favorite teachers, preachers, tell you how to get what you need from God, if that's the primary emphasis, I don't want rights. I want privileges. Ain't got no rights. You brought me into this world. You can take me out of this world. How about instead of giving me what you owe me, how about you just keep taking care of me as you see fit? I'll remain the son. You remain the father. You own the house. How about I just live here? They forget the value and privilege of being part of the father's house. They start to bring separation between what is theirs and what is their father's. He said, give me the portion that falls to me. So now I got mine and you got yours. Oh, this is what happens before you leave. This is God's day. These are my days. I'm just going to tell you. Y'all have been with me a long time. I'm not manipulating you. I just tell you the truth. It falls out there. Do what you want to do. People, you used to couldn't keep them from God's house. Now they come if there's nothing else going on. Anything else comes up. They do what they want to do. They, they do what they prefer to do. They separate. Uh, I got to have my, my days, my, my this. When you start separating, this is God's and this is mine. It's not long before you start putting more in your pile than his pile. And when you lose the idea that he owns it all, you're not even in relationship. He said, I bought you. I redeemed you. I purchased you. Everything you have. Past, present. We love that he purchased our past. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Gone, gone. My sins are gone. My sins. He got you today, huh? Yeah, today, when you, where you live, where you work, who you date, who your friends are. He owns that. Huh? And your future. He owns all of that. He, he didn't buy a part of it. He bought all of it. There comes a day that those who leave in their heart, there'll be an intentional, undeniable break. It said in verse 13, he gathered all his stuff and took his journey. Took his journey. Departure turns to distance. It says he went into a far country. You don't ever leave the father's house and stay stagnant. I'm just going to leave a little bit. No, the road from the father's house is downhill. The road from the father's house is downhill. With a strong wind at your back. No one ever plans on being an alcoholic. No one ever plans on being an addict. No one ever plans on being an adulterer. No one ever plans on being the guy that says, God's hand was on my life when I was a young boy, and now I can't even hear his voice. No one plans on that. No one says, I'm going into the far country. All they say is, let's separate what's mine and yours, and then nature takes its course. Departure turns to distance. And then distance from the Father gives opportunity for unbridled lust and personal degradation. It said he wasted his substance with riotous living. You'll find that in verse 13. The pattern that I've witnessed, the pattern in Scripture, I've watched it now for these 40 years in ministry, is distance always, uh, the people that take the long journey away from the Father, it's it's not all about lust, but it's all about lust being what you want to do. What you want to do, never telling yourself no. Unbridled lust. It said he wasted his substance. What was his substance? The things the Father gave him. So let's say when you were young and you knew the Lord, your early teen years, that he gave you a sweet anointing on your life. He gave you dreams in the night. He gave you a hunger for his word. He gave you influence at school. 
He gave you a way to view things that other people didn't have. And you, you could see what was real and what was not real. And you took this substance and you went out in the world and through unbridled lust, it wasn't the lust being wasted, it was the things. And the young girl becomes old and weathered. The guy who had the bright countenance of the Lord now has dark eyes. And it's gone. Now, I'm going to get to God's grace here in just a moment, but you need to hear this. Just hear old Pastor John this morning. That man that leaves his wife and kids, a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and then uh, comes back when they're in their 20s and 30s, and he repents. He's like, your daddy left with someone that wasn't your mother, and I am so sorry. Please forgive me. If they give him the grace of Jesus Christ, he still lost those years, and they ain't never coming back. Watch. He wasted his substance with riotous living. God will forgive you for the sins, but don't waste your substance. Don't lose your substance for momentary lusts. Don't lose your substance. I want to give my boy something. I want to put my hands on my boy's head and have something in them. I want to impart something to you. Come here. I want to put my hands on him and say, this is the spirit of God. This is substance. I want him to hear it in my voice. I want him to see it on my face. I don't want to hide my flaws. I want him to see the flawed, cracked earthen vessel with God's glory in it and on it. Don't waste your substance. Because you can come back home and you can get grace. But that which he had spent was gone. Distance turns to waste. Waste turns to famine. And famine leads to destructive relationships. It said in verse 14, he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. For a Jew, for an Israelite, that's, that's the worst. It's the worst. See, the devil will see to it that your, the party friends on the road always lead to the man with the, the swine field. Relationships that will put you in the least compatible situation for your life. That's what Satan's end game is. To so imagine this Israelite who's not supposed to even touch him. He's ankle to knee deep in the excrement of these swine. And he's feeding them. You know he had the thought. Heath, you know he did. He said, I never dreamed I would have done this. There are people in this room who live with the Father now that on the road you did things and you said, I never thought I would have done blank. And it happened on the road. I never thought I would have done blank. So here he is in the hog pen saying, I just never dreamed in a million years that I would be here doing this. And eventually they find themselves in a place where man cannot help them. It said in verse 16 that no man gave unto him. If our musician would come, please. But these people, these people that leave God are because of God's grace and only because of God's grace they are granted moments of clarity. It says, and he came to himself. I want you to see that in your Bible, verse 17. And he came to himself. This is so good. See, as a preacher, when you preach all of that before, you're setting the stage for the turn. Okay, what's this? He came to himself and remembered who he was. He said, how many servants of my father have bread enough to spare? It wasn't about bread. He said, my father. So if he's my father, then I am his. What am I doing here, man? 
You could say, I'm Roger Wood's son. Or you can say, I'm a son of the living God. What am I? Beloved, now I'm the son, uh, a son of God. Not the son, a son through adoption. He remembered who he was. Who are you, man? Have you forgot that little boy that used to stand in church and lift his hands to heaven and the tears rolled down your face? Have you forgot about the young girl that used to cup her hands toward heaven and sing and dance like an angel of God? Have you forgotten about the boy that used to tell people, God's hands on my life, and everybody told you, God's hands on my life? God will grant you moments of clarity where you remember who you are. And he remembered how it was back home. He said, at home, bread enough to spare. What I'm lacking, there's plenty of it at the Father's house. He remembered how it was back home. And he knew how this was going to end. He said, I'm dying. I'm perishing with hunger. And I want to say it again. I don't care who it makes mad. And I don't care who it challenges doctrinally. God will let you die on the road. I don't believe it. And they all died in the wilderness. Except for Joshua and Caleb. You've got to make the turn. You've got to repent. Inside and then outside. He owned his sin. He recognized it and he articulated it. He said, I have sinned before heaven and in thy sight. And this prodigal, this moment of clarity. I know this is simple to y'all, but this was my story, man. I'm this guy. <laughs> I remember it like yesterday. That road that leads away from the father's house. If I just do this, this is how simple I am. That road goes back. Same road, different direction. And we start walking back. Those who leave God are often surprised at what happens when they turn back. I was surprised when I turned back towards God in 1986 at the age of 24 years old that he was waiting on me. That don't make any sense. My body and my soul was stained with great perversion. My mind was damaged with years of music and songs that glorified every sin. And the earthly father didn't know everything but the heavenly father knows everything and Jesus was teaching him about how God was and you're waiting on me not with a raised mallet but with a joyful countenance so the prodigal's walking towards home and the Bible says and at a great distance the father saw him he's walking the father's running that right there ought to wreck your heart. So he's walking and here this old man starts running. The, the prodigal is, not only is it my story, it's my favorite portion of scripture in the Bible. I just think it's the most real, beautiful, grace-filled thing. See, it doesn't tell me as much about who I am, which we've studied today. It tells us about who God is. That's the primary thing. But every picture I've seen, have y'all seen the paintings where the, the prodigal comes in and the father's home? All of them that I've seen, the father is holding the son up. But the scripture says the father fell. The real picture is the son holding the father up who is so overcome with emotion that he can't hold himself up. That breaks my heart and heals my heart at the same time. The only time I've ever experienced that in my life is when my daddy died. I remember little pieces of the funeral 
where they wheeled him down on some cart with four wheels and they set it here. And I don't remember who did the ceremony. I don't remember what all they were saying, Mama. But I remember not asking anybody. And I got up out of the seat and I went and I fell on one of the legs because that was my person. And I just felt like my body couldn't hold itself up from the emotion. And I just held onto the leg. And I had somebody come up. I remember this. And they're like, it's okay. Come on, come on. And I just grabbed tighter. I, 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 was, I couldn't hold myself up. And that's how the Father feels about you. That just amazes me. And then the son starts to repent. Repentance is essential. But it is not the paramount thing. It's essential. You have to have it. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It says he began to kiss him, and in the Greek it said he kissed him all over. He was interrupting his repentance with grace. The repentance had to be there. So then the father turns on his heels, and the joy. We, we picture the prodigal as joyful. No, it was the father that was joyful. He said, my boy that was lost is now found. He was dead and he's now alive. Killed the fatted calf. Put the ring on his finger. And he said, daddy, I'm filthy. Oh, take this coat, baby. This will cover everything. And gives him a coat of righteousness. Covers him up. Brings him home. And the Bible says, and the party began. So here we are. I've watched it done now for 40-something years. And I just can't play that game if you're away from God and you want to come home with every eye open say John why would you do that because you walked away with every eye open and it'll break that proud spirit I don't care what they think and listen everybody in the congregation keep your mind and your mouth off the people that come you don't know if they're, they're still in the house and they've left in their heart or they could be in the middle of a hog pen. It doesn't matter to the one that's the prodigal. If that's you, I want you just to come and kneel at a place and receive the Father's embrace this morning. Where are you? The Lord gave me this message for you. Where are you? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Just find a place to kneel here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Can I have some spirit-filled men just come, just, just be behind them. Just say, I, I've been there, sir. I'm praying with you. Anyone else? Say, Father, I'm coming home. I'm coming home, Father. Is there not a daughter here today that's away from the Lord? Any daughters? God bless you. I'm not where I once was. I'm not who I once was. And Father, it don't matter what John thinks. It doesn't matter what this church thinks, but it matters what you think. And I'm coming home. Kelly, would you come pray with this lady here? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Saints, do you realize what's happening here? Coming home. Guys, I won't hold it open. Just talk. I just believe there's a daughter here. Where are you? You're still your father's girl. Come home. Where are you? Come on. Oh, God bless you, ma'am. I know that wasn't for nobody but him. <laughs> God bless you today. Could I have a lady come pray with her, please? God bless you. God bless you. Saints praying all over this building.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to keep turning back to Him. If it's two steps or two miles, we're going to keep turning back to Him. Turning back to Him. Church family, would you stand with us this morning? I want to just take a quick second, just a second, and talk to those in the altar. And then, Pastor Chris, I want you to dismiss us this morning. I just want to look you in the eye, those in the altar, and tell you this. You don't have nothing to prove to nobody from here. This ain't got nothing to do with anybody else, wife, husband, friend, mom, or dad. What you're going to find is when you're back home, you're going to start hearing his voice and feeling the light of his countenance, and you're going to learn his voice. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You'll, re you'll realize that when you get to your table to eat, no one's got your seat. He left it open. And your bedroom's still open. See, we backslide in stages, but we come home in a moment. <laughs> and when he puts the ring on your finger, there is a period of time. I'm almost done, but you got to get this. He gives you the ring and coat and you're still filthy. You ain't got it all off of you yet. I was out till four in the morning the night before I gave my life as an adult to Jesus Christ. I still smelt like all that I did. And when I got home, he said, now let's wash with the word. And he scrubbed me. I was already forgiven of my sins and got the smell off of me and got the, and people, my friends would go, wood. Well, they said woodhead back then. It's a different story. I said, woodhead, what happened to you? I said, God, brought me back. I'm, I'm different, man. I'm different. I'm different. I'm changed. You don't got to prove it. They're going to tell you. You ain't got to go tell everybody else. They go, what has gotten into you? What do you mean? Well, you're calm. You're sane. <laughs> What's gotten into you? There's grace for that. Amen? Now, I know it's pent up. Can someone give a shout of thanks to the Lord for this morning? Come on, Chris. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's exactly what I was about to say. It says in the word that if one comes back to the hymn, there's a, a rejoicing in heaven. And I know I saw more than one down here today. So I am very thankful. I want to join with him in this wonderful time. As I tell my students, there's a holy hoedown going on in heaven right now. Amen. Don't forget about tonight at five, we um, have our men's, our women's, and along with Open Gym, we hope that you will come join us. Let's pray and dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Lord God, thank you for your word that turns us back to you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord God, we love you. We give you praise for what you've done in this place. You're amazing. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.